you got your Bibles with you today, turn to the book of Genesis, first Genesis, first book in the Bible. And we're all still conformed to his image, been trying to do a series, trying to stay disciplined with our structure and thought, because all this is the bigger, the bigger picture, God's ultimate intention is that he might make us like his son, Jesus Christ, that we might be changed, that we might be transformed, that we might start thinking like Jesus and speaking like Jesus and acting like Jesus, that our heart might be aligned with his will. That's God's ultimate intention for you, to conform you. That's why you got to go through sufferings, why you go, go through pain. That's why you need to understand how good God is, because he's in the process of conforming you. A lot of Christians just want to go to heaven when they die. That's shallow. Your, your real cry should be, Lord, change me. I can't change myself. I need to be changed. I want to be just like you. And not out of a fear. You're not trying to earn your salvation. No, you're saved by the mercy of Jesus. I'm undone by the goodness of God. It's His goodness, not my goodness, that saves me. I'm not talking about salvation from hell. I'm talking about a transformed life. So uh, today I'm going to talk about the exchange life or walking with a limp. Walking with a limp. Go to Genesis 32 if you brought your Bibles. I'm going to be reading out of ESV, English Standard Version. This is the great climax of Jacob's life. You go back in the Bible 4,000 years ago to the story of Jacob. Remember, Abraham had a son named Isaac. Isaac had a son named Jacob. And, and God is referred to by many all through the Word of God and throughout history as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So those three guys are pretty powerful guys and really had a relationship with God or you wouldn't call your God after three men. You understand what I'm saying there? That's the, the roots of the Hebrew faith, the roots of the Christian faith. Go back to Father Abraham. And uh, this point here, I'll just give you a little backdrop on Jacob's life first. You know, he, uh, it was prophesied to Isaac and Rebekah that they would have two sons and be two nations in her womb and the the elder would serve the younger. So when Jacob came out of the womb, he was grabbing a hold to the heel of Esau. And a lot of people think that's deceitful. No, infants that aren't born yet aren't making a conscious deceitful choice. Uh, that's really a very powerful thing because Esau was trying to steal the birthright when it belonged to Jacob. You can read Romans 9 and it says, you know, before these boys were even born, that God loved Jacob and hated Esau. And there's a whole big doctrine of theo a theolo theological conversation we could have about predestination and foreknowledge. And maybe we'll talk about that soon. But Jacob was the chosen one. The, the, the elder was going to serve the younger. So when he came out of the womb, he was grabbing a hold of the heel of Esau. That's why his name, Jacob, means heel catcher or supplanter. And that wasn't his deceitful deed. That, he was doing what God wanted him to do because now he could claim the birthright as much as Esau because he came out at the same time. He was holding on. See, you need to, we need to be heel catchers. When the devil tries to steal our birthright, when the devil tries to steal our relationship with God, when the devil tries to, to, to destroy all that we have in God and were in God and will be in God, you need to grab a hold of the promise of God and not let go. Be a heel catcher and say, I'm going to hang on no matter what. So uh, the boys were born. As they grew up, Isaac loved Esau and Rebekah loved Jacob more, according to the Word of God. And uh, where, they, where they went wrong was when Jacob wanted the blessing and Rebekah said, well, let's just lie to your dad and let the curse be on me. And I've heard preachers preach that this is all God's will and God's way. Let me tell you something right now. God never endorses or supports your decision to lie. That's always of the devil. The Bible says that it is impossible for God to lie. And if you want to be like Christ, you don't lie. Now, some preachers will think, okay, Rebecca lied. They had to do it because Isaac was missing the whole thing. So what they're teaching you, it's all right to lie in certain circumstances if it's for the greater good. That's the devil sowing that into your mind. That is never okay to lie. Now, sometimes you need to keep your mouth shut. You don't have to tell everything you know. But just look at Jesus' life. Did he lie one time? Did he deceive anybody? No. He wants you to be conformed into his image. He doesn't want us lying. So, so Rebecca and Jacob were off base here. 
And that's why his name's also uh, called a, a layer of snares. His name means hill catcher, supplanter, layer of snares, and can be uh, often referred to as just meaning deceitful. So uh, when this happened, he wanted his daddy to bless him so much. He wanted his daddy's approval. He wanted his daddy's love so much that he was willing to go along with Rebecca's scheme to let's lie to your dad. Your dad's blind, so let's put the hairy arms, goat skin on your arms, and, and, and let him smell you and feel you, and he'll think you're Esau, and then he's going to give you the blessing, you know, and knowing good and well you're about to get caught just a short time later. Because as soon as Isaac did that, Esau comes in with the, with the meat. He was ready to bring his daddy the meat that he went and hunted for, and they realized that Jacob had schemed him and lied to him. And Esau was furious. And you go back just a little bit further than that in time. You remember the time when Esau came in from the field hungry and Jacob had a bowl of soup, homemade vegetable soup. Amen. Chicken noodle soup. I don't know what it was, but it was good stuff. It's some good soup. This ain't no can. We're not talking a can of Campbell's Mater soup here. We're talking some good stuff. And Esau was starving. And Jacob said, tell you what, sell me your birthright for this soup. And Jacob said, I'm starving to death. What good's a birthright to me? So he sold his birthright for a bowl of soup. And that's how the flesh does. It wants instant gratification. They'll sell God down the river just for their need to be met right now. It shows me that Esau cared nothing about the birthright. He, you know, the birthright carried the promises of Abraham. God blessed Abraham and said, you know, all your offspring will be blessed. And whoever you know, it's good to you, I'll bless. And whoever curses you, I'll curse. And it was a tremendous blessing, a tremendous promise that went with the birthright. So Esau showed a God right away. He valued the birthright at zero or at a bowl of soup. So ja that's not a, that wasn't a scheme. That wasn't deceitful by Jacob. That was smart. I remember my brother's five years younger than me. And I loved golf as a little boy, but I, 12 years old, I'm playing golf, and, and he was, he wanted to learn at seven. So mom and dad bought him a really nice set of clubs. Spent like, a, I think, $150 on this set of clubs. And he played a couple times and didn't like it. So I watched those clubs sit around for months. And then one day I went up to him and said, Ben, I'm going to make you a great deal because you're never going to use those clubs. I'll give you $20 right now for those clubs. He took it, <laughs> and I loved it, man. I just, those clubs are awesome. My game was getting better. I'm playing more and more, just having a blast until Dad found out about it. And when Dad found out about it, he vetoed my whole deal. He made me give the clubs back, get the money back, and I got in trouble for trying to uh, mess with my little brother. And I'm thinking, that was just good business right there on my part. I, I didn't do anything wrong. So uh, Jacob really, you know, he didn't do anything wrong there. What they did wrong was deceiving Isaac to get the blessing. So Isaac spoke that blessing into his life, and for the first time, see, he felt rejection from his dad. He wanted his dad to love him like his mom loved him, but his dad couldn't because he loved Esau so much. So Isaac then spoke a blessing into his life, and it wasn't just a few moments later, Esau and Isaac find out what Jacob and Rebekah did, and Esau's so mad he's ready to kill Jacob. So they have to send Jacob away, away, back to Haran. And to look for a wife, but mainly to escape Esau's wrath, because Esau is going to kill him. And they told the boys, don't marry a local Canaanite girl here. Let's don't uh, marry a heathen. Y'all need to go back home and find your own brethren and marry there. So Esau is so angry with mom and dad. He, I think he married an Ishmaelite right, right around the corner. Jacob goes back, has his experience with the, Jacob's ladder, great visitation of the Lord. And he, he gets to Haran. And he sees Rachel, he moves the stone off the well, waters the sheep, and then the Bible says he kissed her. And I think, man, that guy moves fast right there. He just, <laughs> water your sheep, then I'm going to want some sugar. So uh, he fell in love on the spot. He thought Rachel's the most beautiful girl he'd ever seen. And so she takes him to her dad, Laban, and uh, Jacob says, I want to work for, I want to earn your daughter. I want to, so Laban's, they agreed on seven years. It's actually Jacob's idea. I worked for seven years for Rachel. So for seven years, the Bible said it seemed like just a few days, he worked for Rachel. And then it came time to be married. And this was his big day. He worked seven years for this. 
And y'all know the story. He went, thought he went to bed with Rachel, but Laban slipped Leah into the tent, and he woke up with Leah. He had the wrong girl. And Jacob was furious. He'd been deceived. So uh, Laban said, oh, that's just our custom around here. You always get the oldest first. Give me another seven years, and you have Rachel. So then he worked seven more years for Rachel. And then he worked six more years for Laban and, and trying to get a flock built up. The Bible said Laban changed his wages ten times. So Jacob, he had a struggle with his dad. And then he had a struggle with his father-in-law. For 20 years he was struggling. And then he was finally told to go home. The Lord told him to go home. So he takes his two wives, their two handmaidens, his 11 children at that time. And, they all, and all the, he had lots of uh, goats and sheep and cattle and camels and donkeys. He had this gigantic flock. And he takes us all back home. He's headed home. And then they get near, he gets word that Esau's coming out to meet him with 400 men. Now Esau's had 20 years to think about this. And Jacob knows that nothing's changed in his heart. He intends to kill him. So Jacob's got a fear on him really bad. And so he, he splits up his company, his herd, and his, his family into two groups and send them two different paths. His logic was that if he, if he kills one group, I'll at least have the other. And the Bible says he was there alone and afraid. So here, that's the backstory. We're in Genesis 32. Here we go, verse 24. And Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him unto the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what's your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. I put those parentheses there because it doesn't tell us in the Bible what God said to him. Obviously, this man he was wrestling with was the Christ. It, it was God. And uh, God blessed him right there in, in a mighty powerful way. The Bible says, So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. Jacob had this amazing life-changing story, but he left there limping. Why would God give him a limp? I don't even know how to walk with a stick. You get the idea, though? He limped. You know, God broke his will and gave him, he touched his hip, and the bone shattered in his hip just by God's touch. And from the whole rest of Jacob's life, he limped. He limped. See, he got his name changed. His nature was changed supernaturally. He strove with Isaac. He strove with Laban for 20 years. He's in a struggle with Esau, scared Esau's going to kill him the next day. And uh, so he finds God. God comes to him, and he hangs on to God and wrestles in the dust with God and, and strives with God, wrestling with God. And he finally said, I'm not going to let you go till you bless me. I think Jacob, what he had looked for in his dad, it didn't satisfy him. What he had looked for in Rachel, it never satisfied him. He had 11 kids. He still wasn't satisfied. His father-in-law, had, he had worked for him, and now he had all these flocks, and he still wasn't satisfied. So finally, in Jacob's life, he encounters God face to face. He's wrestling with him, and he says, I'm not letting you go until you bless me. The only thing important in my life is you speaking your word into my heart and giving me your blessings. And that's what God was waiting on. When he did, he touched his thigh and gave him a limp for the rest of his life. The rest of his life, he limped. He got his name changed to Israel. No longer hill catcher, no longer supplanter, no longer layer of snares. Now he will rule as God, soldier of God, contender to fight. He's a warrior, he's a contender. 
He's going to rule with the power of God and the might of God. Israel, he's the father of a nation, father of a nation called Israel. I'm asking you today, do you have a limp? Do you realize God gave the Apostle Paul a limp? 2 Corinthians 12, 9, this is talking about the Apostle Paul. He was talking about his thorn in the flesh. Y'all know that story. He had a thorn in the flesh. He asked God three times to remove it. God wouldn't remove it. But he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. When I'm weak, then I'm strong. Are you happy when there's insults and calamities and hardships? Do you like being persecuted? Do you realize God is just pushing you down so you can break your will? That's why God gave you the limp. As long as you got a limp, you'll be happy with anything. You have Jesus. How could I want more? I'm undone by the mercy of Jesus. I'm undone by the goodness of God. I've been restored and made right. He got a hold of my life. I have Jesus. What more could I want? What more can I ask for? I got a limp. Calamities, weaknesses, perils, trials, tribulations. It's okay, God. It's okay. This messenger of Satan is buffeting me. It's okay if you don't take it away because I have you and I got a limp. God, God wants to give you a limp. A limp. Let me try to make it clear. Self-righteous people don't limp. No way. They're just doing great. They can do it all on their own. They don't need your help. They don't need God's help. They're going to do this by themselves. Self-confident people don't have a limp. They're strong. I know people so confident in themselves, they wouldn't need God for anything. Why would they stop and pray? Why would they, why would they fast? Why would they cry out to God? They've got everything in themselves, or at least they think. People with no weaknesses don't need limps. Everything is great. Some people like that in church. They wear masks. How are you? Oh, wonderful. God bless you. How are you? Man, if I was any better, I'd be twins. You know, everything's wonderful. Huh? Are you a person with no weakness? It means you're just really a person that hides his weakness from the church really, really good. We all have weaknesses, and we all need a limp. But if you, you project this image that you don't even have a weakness, you don't have a limp. You're, you're independent. God wants you dependent upon him. A limp signifies a broken will and a dependent position upon him. You still trying to make yourself holy? How's that working out for you? How many years are you going to struggle with that? You need a limp. You're going to try to fix your weaknesses on your own strength? How's that working out for you? You need a limp. You need to be dependent. God wants you dependent. God took away Jacob's legs. He couldn't run anymore. He wasn't strong physically anymore. He was an old man with a limp, but always reminded of the blessing of God. And when God broke his will, and now Jacob's life was so much more fruitful. Look at the end of his life, at the blessings he put on his 12 sons. Look at the anointing in, in those blessings, some of those powerful scriptures in the Old Testament. Jacob had an amazing life. Now that his will was broken, he had a limp, and he got his name changed. Suffering and pain can produce a limp. It won't automatically produce a limp, because some people suffer and go through pain and never get their will broken. They just get angrier and angrier at God. They white fist their pain and just try to make it their way through it. Beloved, when God's got pain in your life, raise your hands to him and say, Lord, I give you my will. Break my will. I don't want to fight you anymore. Limpers who are broken and yielded, God can use. Are you a limper? Are you broken? Are you yielded? See, wrestling, Jacob wrestled with God. So how do you wrestle with God? You can do it through life circumstances. You can wrestle with God while wrestling with people. You can wrestle in prayer. You can wrestle in the Word. 
Most people think of wrestling with God, they think of just being at the altar and praying. And maybe they've got great pain in their life and they're screaming out to God. Well, that's possible to wrestle that way. But mostly you're just wanting to feel better about what you're involved with there. Uh, to wrestle with God is, is to not let go, is, is to hang on and realize that, yeah, i got all kind of problems. I'm not even pretending not to have problems. But Lord, I know that whatever you want to do in my life, you can do if I'll just simply surrender my will, break my will that I might be yielded to thee. You see, uh, do you often choose the good path because you want God to bless you? In other words, will you do good, when you have a choice between good and wrong, will you choose good simply because you want God to bless you? If you are thinking that way, you need a limp because you're trying to manipulate God. Your obedience shouldn't be so he'll bless me. Let me give you another thought. I've got three really big thoughts here. Do you, do you sometimes feel overwhelmed that you'll never be good enough or that you'll never measure up? You need a limp. You need a limp. Quit struggling to be good and get a limp. <laughs> Say, Lord, break my will. I'm willing to limp. I don't, I don't care about being self-righteous. I don't care about being self-confident. I don't care if the church knows I have weaknesses and problems. I, I don't care if they know I'm a flawed human being. Give me a limp. I Just bless me, Lord. I won't let go until you bless me. Speak into my life. Let me know, Lord Jesus. And then the third one is, do you look down on anyone as spiritually inferior to you? You need a limp if you do. The exchange life. This limping's all about the exchange life. I gave my sins to Jesus. He took them upon himself. Hallelujah. Then Jesus gave me his perfect, his righteous life, his perfect life. Do you realize that exchange? I gave him my sinful life. He gave me in return his righteous life. I gave Jesus my old man. He died with Jesus on the cross, and he gave me his resurrection life. Jesus living in me, a new man, now that's the resurrection life of Christ. That's a pretty good swap. God gave me a limp to help me walk the exchange life. Because when I'm, when I'm limping, that means my will's broken, and I can just yield to him. 24-7, all during the day, I'm going to be yielded. Now, the exchange life is not a matter of trying to do things for Jesus, but it's of claiming and resting in what Jesus has done for us. It's not what you do that matters. It's what he did that matters 2,000 years ago. It's his perfect life he lived 2,000 years ago that he wants to give you and give me, or that he has given us if we'll just accept it. The exchange life moves us from a works-based theology to a grace-based theology and from legalism to liberty. You understand that? See, if I don't need the, if I don't need the staff, and I, I'm self-righteous, self-confident, it's all about what I can do, it's all about keeping my rules and regulations, and I'm, I'm going to live clean, nobody's going to know about my weaknesses, I'm going to come to church and I'm going to be a standout Christian. A, are you saved? B, have you learned how to receive what Christ gave? See, you can't do it on your own. You can't live the Christian life. Only Jesus can live the Christian life perfectly. Only Jesus can live this life. You need Him. Get out of the driver's seat and let Jesus in the driver's seat. Get out of the passenger seat and get in the back. Get in the back of the car. The, better yet, get in the back of the pickup truck. Just get back there either way. And let Jesus boss your life. Let Him drive your life. Let Him run your life. Legalism or liberty. Now, we just heard Sister Jessica, when she was singing, what did she say she felt? Freedom. Freedom. She's saying liberty. Because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty, freedom. Jesus said, I've come to set the captive free. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Liberty. Liberty to do what? Liberty to serve God. Liberty to walk with God. Liberty to be what Jesus wants you to be. Not a license to sin. That's not grace. Grace doesn't just give you freedom to sin. See, there's two extremes. On one side, they're the legalists, the Pharisees. And the other side, these people that think grace gives you a license to sin. 
A license to sin means doing whatever you want to do. Sinning with no conviction. Thinking grace gives you the freedom to sin. Going your own way. No moral code or standards. Whatever feels good, do it. No thought of even offending God. These are the people, I know supposedly Christian people, that think grace gives them a license to sin, and they live this horrible sinful life away from God, alienated from God, hanging on to some false concept. Now on the other extreme, and just as bad, and just as lost, and just as confused, are the legalists. These people are trying to save yourself by keeping laws and rules and regulations. Trying to earn God's favor, thinking if you live good enough, if you pray enough, if you study enough, if you go to church enough, maybe God will be pleased with you and bless you sometime. Are you, these people are trying to sanctify themselves, trying to make themselves holy. I know a lot about both these groups because I've been a member of both clubs. I'm not looking down on a group of people. I'm telling you, these people are in captivity. One's in the captivity to the world and the other's in captivity to religion. It's both captivity. In the center here, you'll find the freedom, the liberty. A true liberty can only be found in a relationship with Jesus. Thank you. Saved by his life, I'll give you a couple of scriptures to match this. If while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we be reconciled, we'll be saved by his life. So what, what took our sins away? The cross, the blood. Jesus died on the cross. So he reconciled us to God by his death. You see that? But that's, that's one thing that happened. Now what's the next thing? Much more than now that we're reconciled by his death, we're going to be saved by his life. Because he never meant just to take your sins away and then you try to live the Christian life on your own. What he meant for you to do is to... He wants to take your sins away and then he wants to give you his life. He wants to give you his perfect life 2,000 years ago. He wants to grant that to you. He wants to bring that life into your heart, into your spirit. He wants to give you his life. It's, it's not me. It's him living through me and in me. It's Jesus living the Christian life while he's living in my heart through my life. But as long as I'm trying to live it on my own, and I don't need the staff because I'm strong and I'm self-confident and I'm a good Christian. I don't have many things wrong with me anymore. He can't even work with that. But if I got a limp, I got weaknesses. I got flaws, man. I got problems. I got, my soul's got so many things wrong with it. I got bad memories and bad habits. And I, I'm a mess. But Jesus, I love you. And my will's broken. Not my will, but thine be done. I'm walking with a limp. But that's okay, I don't even care anymore about having strong legs. I'm just happy that you're living your life through me. Use me, Lord Jesus. I'm walking with a limp. Use me. For you've died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. You're dead. You're dead. The old man is dead. Allow the new man to live his life through you. Three verses here. I'm crucified. Galatians 2.20. I'm crucified with Christ. That's my old man has died with him. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. Now, now I'm not the one living. I'm just broken and yielded. He's living through me. And uh, the life I live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. I live by His faith, not my own faith, who loved me and gave Himself for me. And then Romans 6, 4, Therefore we're buried with Him by baptism into death, like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we all should walk in newness of life. So just like Christ was raised from the dead, I've been raised from the dead, you've been raised from the dead. It's His resurrection life, His resurrection power, His resurrection. In essence, it's Jesus living His resurrected life through your heart and through my heart. And in Romans 6, 11, Reckon ye also yourselves to be dead unto sin, alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So this is the exchange life I'm talking about. And I've showed you this four weeks in a row. This is what the threefold nature looks like. First Thessalonians, you learn we do have a body, soul, and a spirit. We are a triune being. There's a trichotomy. Just like God's a father, word, and spirit, we're a body, soul, and spirit. And our body is the house. It's the house that holds everything. It's our earthen vessel. But that's really not who you are because you're going to go to the grave and your body's going to deteriorate and decompose. 
until the resurrection of the dead. Then, you know, the resurrection at the rapture actually will all be raised and we'll get a new glorified body. But your spirit and soul is where all this activity, sanctifying, progressive sanctification goes on. And your spirit is not really what God's after because when you got saved, He gave you a new man, a regenerated spirit. You were born again. All things were now made new. He put you justified by faith in Christ. So that means you're now right standing with God. You've been made righteous. Your spirit part of you is as good as it's going to get. You can't work on that anymore. The reason you got to get a limp is so you'll get out of the way with your life and just surrender to let the Spirit of God flow out of you. Out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. Out of your heart, your innermost part of your being, He wants to flow His Spirit out of you. So this is the, the Christ in you, is the new man, the regenerated portion of you that is justified, sanctified, and redeemed. Now your soul is, is redeemed, your soul is saved, but it's not yet sanctified. You've got some more work to do on that. You still got, we all have work to do on our souls. A lot of scriptures in the Bible support that theory. What I want you to think about today is your new man is perfect. Now what happens when you put the nature of a cat in a hog? Say I had a real dirty hog. I'm near the barn. But somehow I could miraculously take the nature of the hog out and put in the nature of the cat in the hog. Let me tell you what's going to happen. The hog is going to find a litter box to use. When the hog goes to the barn and gets muddy, he's going to spend the next two hours licking his paws, licking his feet. Because now you've got the nature of a cat in a hog. So when Christ comes inside of us, you get saved, you need to expect to change. Because now Christ is living inside of you. He won't act. Your spirit will act different from now on. From this day forward, it's going to be different. Now, your soul has still got a whole lifetime of bad thinking, and that houses your spirit. So that's why you have to, it's a growth process. You have to mature in Christ to actually learn how to allow Christ to live his life through you. It doesn't come overnight. It takes the rest of your life. When Christ gives you a new birth in your spirit, he will not sin. He has no desire to sin. That's a part of you that only wants to do good. That's God's will inside of you. If you're wanting to sin, it's because... Your soul has the sin nature in it. Your, your spirit is like the hog that got swapped natures, now it's the nature of a cat. It's, it's like a hog acting like a cat. But your soul is still a hog, all right? It's still, and, and that's a progressive sanctification. Sin comes from your body or your brain. How many of y'all know that? Your brain's like a computer, that's like your hardware. Your soul's like the software. It determines what you put in there, who's typing the keys. That's your will in your soul that's controlling what comes in or out. Some of y'all need to upgrade. <laughs> Some of y'all need a new, you need to go to Best Buy and get a new computer. No. Do you, are you starting to see the difference in your soul and spirit as you go through the day? See, God's wanting you to see the difference when you know that's when it's Him or know it's, know it's you. Also talked about this last week, how one of my favorite teachers taught the white dog, black dog theology. And that worked in my mind. It made sense for years. Which dog? You got two dogs in you? I've even heard Esau and Jacob in this analogy, like the two nations in your womb battling it out. Like when Jesus comes into your heart, and now you're supposed to battle it out with Jesus for the rest of your life? I don't think so. That's not what God's Word teaches. So anyway, they say, which dog going to win? The one you feed the most? You feed the white dog, Alpo, and what's that? We got expensive. I can't believe how much we're paying for dog food. <laughs> All because we got this little dog that wants a special brand? That's ridiculous. Anyway, I'm not on that. Which dog are you going to feed the most? We say, well, I'll feed the white dog and I'll starve the black dog. All you get is a mean black dog that hasn't been fed and he's ready to fight like crazy. Here's what I want you to do with this analogy of your bifurcated heart or your dual nature. I want you to forget that. That ain't right. Old heart, new heart. If you still believe you are your old man and Jesus is your new man, you're going to wrestle with him the rest of your life. That is wrong theology. That is satanic thinking. That is not Bible. Amen. I want you to get off that. 
Our deepest identity in our spirits has been transformed, but our sanctification is not yet complete. Our souls still need transforming. Our deepest identity, that means who I really am is who I am in my new man. That is my identity. Who I am in my new man, that is me. I am who God says I am. I'm not who, say, I'm not who I feel I am. If I go by my feelings, I'm going to say I'm my old dude. I'm my old man. I'm not going to go by my feelings. God has never taught me to live by my feelings. I'm not going to let my feelings govern my life. I am who God says I am. Now we're called to the task to allow God to gradually conform our souls to the righteousness and holiness that was created in our spirits the moment we got saved. So the rest of your life you need to think about this soul transformation. The Bible says in Romans 12 too, be you transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's important to read your Bible every day and renew your mind every day and pray every day and hit the refresh button that you might have the right perspective. Because once you get the wrong perspective, you'll, you'll go through life not seeing God right, not seeing yourself right, not viewing yourself like God views you, and you'll have a defeated day or week or month. Man, you, you've got to get a disciplined mind to wake up and stand up and say, Lord, I give you praise today. I am who you say I am. You can have a bad dream and wake up feeling guilty or condemned like you did something wrong. You didn't do anything wrong. You had a bad dream. You can't control that. Let me tell you something else. Satan puts thoughts in your head, in your soul. And sometimes you walk around feeling guilty because you had a bad thought. Well, that thought wasn't generated by you. That thought wasn't generated. You understand what I'm saying? That was some nasty stuff. There's junk in my soul. Residue. The junk in my soul is not the real me. It's the residue from your past life. A lifetime of memory and habits. Say you get saved at 40 years old, that means you got 40 years of sinful thinking that's still in your software. You don't, you don't get a crash in a brand new software. You still got to deal with that old software the day you get saved. Residue. It's like this is what was left over. <laughs> there was a bomb went off in my heart. I, now I got Jesus in my heart, but look at all the residue. There's junk in your soul, residue in your soul. Get, that's not you. Quit feeling guilty because you don't have a perfect thought life. Man, the enemy's trying really, really hard to accuse you and put you down and condemn you. and He can send thoughts into your life. You know, he can stir up thoughts in your soul just out of your memory and all of a sudden you're feeling guilty and defeated again. Beloved, go to Romans 8.1. There is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. No, I'm in Christ. How can I be condemned? I'm forgiven. It's forgotten. I'm justified, sanctified, redeemed. All by the blood of the Lamb. He did it by the goodness of God. So don't let the junk in your soul govern you. Now this is the other thing people do. Look, they read it. 1 Corinthians 15, 31. I protest by your rejoicing, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die daily. So they say, well... I am my old man because i got to die every day to my old man. According to the Word of God, i got to obey the Bible. i got to die every day. I've heard that all my life. Well, I'm going to give you two different translations to let you see if you think that may, the verse, those words, I die daily, were taken out of context. And why should we ourselves risk our lives hour by hour for our swear to brothers and sisters that I face death daily? NLT. NIV says, and for us, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? I face death every day. Yes, just as surely as I boast about you in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul was endangering himself every day that he preached the gospel. He, you read the accounts. He faced robbers. He faced peril. He faced bad weather. He faced hunger. He, faced, uh, he was cold. He'd been beaten with stones and beaten with clubs and Paul faced, every day he risked his life to share the gospel. So what he's, King James just doesn't say it like it is. Go back, go home and read 20 translations. You're going to find out that his life was at risk day by day because he preached the gospel. He's not, see when you take a couple words and pull them out of context, you get a pretext. You, you, you can just, you can make the Bible say whatever you want it to say. I'm going to take those three words and now I'm going to spend the rest of my life trying to beat myself down every day. I'm going to beat myself down and starve my black dog and I'm going to cry. If I can't cry, I'm going to 
pinch myself till I cry because I, I need to feel sorry for my sin, so God will forgive me. And, and you know what you're going to do? You're setting yourself up to live a miserable life. Miserable. God don't want you to die daily. You're already dead. Don't die daily. I just read you scriptures. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Colossians 3 says, I'm dead. My life is hid with Christ in God. I'm dead. I, I, it's over with. Romans 6, I'm dead. I died with Him. Buried with Him. Planted with Him. Raised with Him. And then the second thing is you don't live your life for Christ. It's where you get in trouble. So you don't need the staff because you're strong and you can do it. You're going to live the Christian life now that you're saved. No. You need to realize you can't live the Christian life. You're impotent spiritually without Christ. And He didn't ever ask you to live it. He's, he wants you to yield to His life. See, if you got a limp, you can yield to His life. Now Christ can live through me. I know I can't do it. I know I'm a mess. I, I'm never going to measure up on my own. I don't have to. Christ is living through me. Hallelujah. I hope you're seeing that. I'm praying to God to give you revelation of that. Glory. I'm not dying daily. I'm already dead. And I'm not going to wake up every morning and try to live the Christian life anymore. I'm praying God to give me a limp. Maybe I need to lose my money. Maybe I need to lose my health. Maybe I need to lose, you know, maybe I need to go through something in my life to produce a limp. I'm too self-confident, too self-righteous. I do try to hide my weaknesses. I want people to think I'm strong. Well, you know, just pray, God, give, you, give me a limp. God has put me through so many things in my life. I mean, it's, I just marvel at it. Good things and bad things, pleasurable things and painful things. But at 58, almost 58, and all the pain, I'm finding myself with a limp. And now I think for the first time in my life, God can actually use me and flow through me and produce what he wants to produce out of my life. Yield. See, if I got a limp, it's easy to yield. See, if, I, if I'm driving on the interstate and I'm, I'm, I'm already up to 40 miles an hour and I'm about to drive and merge on the interstate, and then I see a car coming by, you know, he's, he's 60, but he's back there, and I'm thinking, I got as much right on this interstate as he does, I'm just going to mash the gas a little more and jump right in front of him. Some people live their Christian life that way. If you don't have a limp, you'll keep just jumping right in front of God. But if you get a limp, see, I'm driving 20 miles an hour. <laughs> And I see that I'm just going to pull over to the right and just sit here for a minute till everybody goes by. <laughs> I'm going to yield. Learn to yield to God. Quit fighting God. Quit trying to get ahead of God or behind God. Just yield to God. That's the difference in victory or defeat. We learned in Romans 6 to know, reckon, and yield. Know your old man is dead. Know your new man is your new identity and you're alive with Christ. He lives inside of you. Reckon these things to be true and then yield. Yield your broken will to allow his spirit to flow out. I'm almost done. Less is more with God. Remember the story of Gideon? He had thousands ready to go to battle. And God cut him back and cut him back. He only had an army of 300. Human logic says that won't work. You can't win with 300 against tens of thousands. God said that's the only way it's going to work. See, less is more with God. Less is more with God. 1 Corinthians 1.25, because of the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. How did God defeat sin in strength or weakness? Weakness. The cross was, was a display of weakness, of humility, defeat. All his disciples, why did they run? Because they thought he was defeated. They thought he couldn't even be their king or their Messiah. Because he had lost the battle, they just crucified him at the cross. The disciples dispersed. In fear because they were followers of the man. And now it looked like for sure that the Roman government defeated him. Weakness. Humility. So that's how God defeated sin. That's how God saved the world. That's how God saved you and me. Through weakness, defeat, humility, suffering. He did it at the cross. Yeah. Beloved, God's world is upside down from our world. If you want to be strong in God, you need to get weak. You need, God needs to break your will. Ask Him to break your, you won't be so upset at God when suffering's coming your way because you say, Lord, I see you're just breaking my will. Praise God. I don't want to waste my life anymore living for the wrong things, trying to be strong. 
I want you to be my strength. The Bible says in James 1, let the rich man rejoice when he's made low. What does that mean? That means God has done something for the rich man far greater than, than gold and silver and precious stone. Far greater. Now he's got a relationship with God. You can't take your riches into heaven with you. Never been a U-Haul follow a hearse to the graveyard. If they did try to put the riches in there with the body, they didn't have a lot of revelation, did they? I'm closing. What did Matthew say? At the end of Matthew 5, he says, Therefore, you, mu you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. That's Matthew 5.48. If you go back and look at the rest of Matthew, he starts out with the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed. And then he starts giving them instructions. It's really hard. Like, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you're not going to go to heaven. You'll never know the kingdom of God. And then he says, you, the old law said, don't murder. I'm telling you, if you're angry with your brother, you're already guilty of murder. And the Old Testament said, don't commit adultery. I'm telling you that if you look upon a woman and think about adultery, you're already guilty of that. And it, Jesus is now coming along. He's making it harder, harder than it was in the Old Testament. And then he says, be perfect. You know, I remember years ago reading that scripture and thinking in my mind, okay, I can do this. I'm going to, be, I'm going to dress right. I'm throwing the TV out of the house. I'm going to eat right. I'm going to fast every Wednesday and every, once a weekend, every, every month. And I'm going to study my Bible four hours a day. And uh, I did for like, I did study that much for years. What was I trying to do? Be perfect. How close did I get? Not close at all. It took me years to realize I, why. Because I didn't have a limp. I was strong. I was smart. I could do this stuff. But now I'm 50, almost 58. And I got a limp. Now I understand that scripture. You know what it means? It means let Jesus be perfect through me. Let Jesus live the Christian life through me. He never asked me to do this. He said he would do it. That's what the new covenant is. That's why you got baptized in the Holy Ghost, that he would come and write his law in your heart and your mind. I love this thing about these change life. I think I got two more slides. When we have a limp, a broken will, we can easily yield to God. If you're having trouble yielding to God, it's probably because you hadn't ever limped. And you say, I don't want to limp, Brother Bill. Well, nobody wants to be weak. But I'm telling you, if it gets my relationship right with God, I'd much rather limp. I mean, I could take two limps. Because with the, with the yielded will, if I believe I'm, I'm dead with Christ, I believe I'm risen with Christ, I know that Christ can live his life in and through me. And only Christ can live the Christian life. So he, he's going to live. Remember when he told his disciples, greater things you'll do than I did? You know what that really meant? Jesus lived his perfect life in a sinless body and a sinless soul. His, he was body, soul, and spirit, sinless, spotless. He's going to come inside of you, and you're going to do it in a sinful body and a sinful soul. That's going to be greater than what he did. Wow. Only Christ can live the Christian life. Holy Spirit now can produce his fruit through our broken life. And God can use a person with a broken will. A limp. You want to be used by God, just learn to limp. Just be broken. Be weak. Quit trying to be strong. You don't have to impress anybody. Just be weak. Get honest. Get on, wrestle with God in prayer. Wrestle with God in the Word. Wrestle through the circumstances of life. And tell the Lord, I'm not letting you go until you bless me. I'm down in the dirt with you. I'm down in humility with you. I'm down. Everything looks like it's destroyed, but I'm going to hang on, and I'm not going to let go until you bless me. And God will give you a limp. And He'll also change your name. He'll change your nature. He'll change everything. If you really want Him, you can have Him like Jacob did. And the last slide, I'm going to read. I read this to you last week. And He said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. So the cross in a believer's life is where your will and God's will meet, where it crosses. 
Now, when you have a limp, it's easier to recognize that and it's easier to yield to it. Because you're living through your life and you've got your day planned and all of a sudden God says, I need you to go visit this person. I need you to pour into this person. I need you to encourage them and don't leave them until, you, until they're in better shape. And you can say, well, Lord, I've got all this planned and I'm going to minister to these people and do this and this and this. See, at this point, you can either mess your whole day up or you can yield to God's will. Yield to God's will. Go do what he tells you to do. You'll see blessing. You'll see glory. You'll see miracles. Or, or it could be... Uh, 20 different points of decisions every day. And you're going to either take your cross. Uh, taking your cross means I'm going to yield my will to God. Doing your own thing means, all right, I'm, I'm not limping. I'm strong. I don't need to do that. God, that can't be God. That must just be my carnal mind. And you run from God. Beloved one, uh, learn to listen to the Holy Spirit and learn to yield to Him. He might be telling you to do some unpleasant things. Yield to Him. Do what God asks you to do. Help people. Love people. Share with people. Encourage people. If you run into a lost person, they need to know how much you love them, how much Jesus loves them. They need to understand that there's a God in heaven that loves them and died for them. If you run into a saved person, let me tell you, everybody you run into needs affirmation. Everybody you run into needs encouragement. They need edifying. They need, you know, yield to the Spirit of God and let Him flow through you the way He wants to flow through your life. Does all that make sense? Let's get a limp, all right? Amen. Learn to walk with a limp. Amen. Can you stand to your feet?